Welcome back to Dark Dish Radio. I was going to say something in another language. I was going to greet you. And it always goes to hell. <laughs> uh, pig Latin, I'd be okay. Well, that, that would be fine. Um, so, yeah, welcome back to the show, our third show. I'm so excited. It, it, it's too exciting, and that's why this is the last show. No, seriously, we're really... We're, <laughs> We're really excited. We're getting again good feedback, and I hate to keep saying that, but we really do. We do thrive on that. We like to hear the good yeah. stuff. Yeah, we appreciate that more than anyone knows. No bad stuff, though. So if you have anything bad to say, just please. Yeah, please, please. don't knock us down. Please don't knock us down that way. <laughs> yeah, the streamies they'll talk about, and the worst YouTubers of the year go to. Um, <laughs> Is there such that's a okay. thing? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't pay a whole lot of attention, but hopefully yeah. we don't qualify for that. I'm hoping but, we don't. So this is particularly special to us because not only is this building very well documented and there have been countless shows done on it and books and documentaries, but we have physically spent time, eight hours at least, in this building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as we were researching this, we both kind of had that feeling that we were still there in a strange way. You just... You know, yeah. makes you want to go back. Yeah, makes sure. you want to go back. You reminisce, and it these places really do imprint on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we thought, what better subject to talk about than something that we're familiar with? Uh, we're not necessarily familiar with all of these cases that we will be discussing on this show, but this one, absolutely. So, of course, we are talking about Waverly Hills in Louisville, Kentucky. Love it. So excited. She's like, this is great. This is wonderful. Yeah, I want to relive it. I like, I love that. We maybe have not gone into this prior. I'm, I can't recall, but we are paranormal investigators on the side. That's our side gig. And <laughs> we, we've had a really amazing opportunity or several opportunities, I should say, to investigate locations that are now Admittedly, they might be considered kind of passe because everybody's been there now. Yeah, and the, and it wasn't when we went. You know, I think that no. was – I, I don't know. I thought I heard 2000 – They, the, the owners now uh, had bought it in 2001. And then right. I think – yeah, did, it was around 2004 they started, you know, opening it for investigations and tours. I believe so. So Waverly Hills, so, uh, and I want to clarify this as we start, because if you're like me, and hopefully you aren't, but if you're like me, you may have always <laughs> wondered, what is, what is the difference between a, what is the difference between a sanitarium or a sanatorium? Yeah. Because you see those different spellings, and the truth is, really, there is no difference. Sanitarium comes from sanitus, which means health. Sanatorium comes from sanare, which means to cure or to heal. So really, they are interchangeable. So this is where we met. Of course, Waverly Hills, as you probably know, um, there have been many stories done about it, many documentaries and shows. However, this is not just our research. This is our personal account of our investigation, our eight-hour overnight investigation back in 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> That's it. Well, thanks for coming. It's been a great show. So 
we thought, let's talk about that. This is going to be paranormal in nature, but also historical. But when we go back by the, by the beginning of the 19th century at that time, especially in America, tuberculosis, and back then it was often referred to as consumption, had killed one in seven people. Un unreal. Unreal. It is unreal. Uh, in fact, they say by 1900, 194 of every 100,000 United States residents, and at least in the contiguous United States, had died from TB. Oh. And so the cure, quote unquote, at the time, which there was none, uh, they believed was a sanatorium, a place that you could, where you could rest, that the environment, the natural environment, the air, the sunshine through heliotherapy and, and modalities such as this could somehow uh, give you enough rest and give you enough recuperation that you could either have an improved quality of life or maybe even be cured. But as we know, that didn't happen. Not very often, no. Mm -hmm. And this is where we lead to this particular region of America uh, because at that time, Louisville, Kentucky, the epidemic was severe there because allegedly, or I shouldn't say allegedly, but the story goes that it was worse because of the wetlands along the Ohio River. It just, the bacteria permeated that area because of the environment. You know, and I never knew that. I never looked into I, the history of TB. Yeah. So, yeah, I find that fascinating. Well, and I never thought about it either, but now basis, you know, basing what we know on um, bacteria and how it works, at least some bacteria in this case, it does make sense that it was just the mm -hmm. perfect combination yeah. for a terrible situation. And so because of that, the land where Waverly Hills now is, um, that was purchased by the Hayes family back in 1883. They purchased that area to have their family home. But that home was kind of, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and there weren't any mm -hmm. schools nearby. So Mr. Hayes would open up a school for his children. And the teacher whom he hired to be the uh, head of that school, as it was, uh, she had a penchant for these Waverly novels by Sir Walter Scott, and that's where it got the name Waverly Hills. Uh, in 1910 because of this tuberculosis outbreak in this area, in order to try to contain some of that, a two-story wooden sanatorium was opened. And it had an admin building, it had a main building, and they had what they referred to as these open-air pavilions. And I believe each pavilion could contain 20 patients per. And mm -hmm. so that's, you know, that's not a lot, obviously. And that was no. for the treatment treatment of early cases, I think the idea being that if you were in the beginning stages of TB, maybe you had a fighting chance. So now we look towards, it's not even a year later, the Board of Tuberculosis Hospitals was given $25,000 to create a hospital specifically for advanced cases of TB. They must have thought that it wasn't going to be that big a deal. Maybe they really believed in that idea of heliotherapy, that the sunlight would, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the newer things. In, on August 31st of 1912, all of the TB patients that were at the city hospital originally were relocated to these temporary quarters that were, they were in tents on the grounds of Waverly Hills. 
until the new hospital was completed for advanced cases. In December of that year, a hospital for advanced cases uh, took in another 40 patients. Um, four years, or excuse me, two years later, they added the children's pavilion, 50 more beds. So they, they kept doing this for a time until finally they would build the present day Waverly Hills. Now, as I understand it, you had done some research about a maintenance man that worked there around 1914. Uh, actually, I think it was a little earlier in the original oh, okay. building. Mm -hmm. Yep. And his name was Edward Arthur. Uh, he went on to become the treasurer and the businessman of Waverly Hills. However, oh, and he was also a photographer. He took oh. roughly, 100, roughly 150 photographs while he was at Waverly Hills. And the reason for that is because he ended up contracting TB. So he lived there. Uh, before he had TB, well, then he was became a patient. He did end up going on to marry. He and his wife had two kids, and they stayed on the property. They never contracted TB, but in 1929, he did die from tuberculosis. Wow. A lot of his photos uh, consisted of so many interesting things, not only the buildings, um, but they were also just the patients having fun. Um, there's one photo... Yeah, one photo of a group of, I think they were nurses, and they were dressed up as men, just having a good time, goofing around. Um, and a lot of people don't know, but there was actually a band at Waverly Hills. So he took, pictures, mm -hmm, he took pictures of them. Sweet photos. They're from the Filson Historical Society, and they were given them by his grandson. So they're really interesting to see. So these are uh, just that is that yeah, really is how, nice. Yeah, how life was. It all Waverly Hills. Well, and it gives a different perspective because look, if if this is your sentence, and I hate to put it that way, but it's kind of how it was. If that was your yeah, sentence, yeah. you ha you had to find some kind of joy in every day that you could. Sure. Yeah, they had exercise programs, and yeah, they they uh, they did what they could. Wow. Well, uh, and again, the sheer numbers, the sheer numbers of people who are at that point suffering, I mean, certainly dying from, but just suffering, lingering, mm. I guess, yeah. better word, um, with these symptoms, which of course ranged from, certainly it was pulmonary, but it, TB affects many parts of the body, not just the lungs. And it is something that most notably, I think the thing that people associate it with is coughing up blood, which is an unfortunate truth. Mm -hmm. um, Waverly Hills, as we know it now, um, the time frame we're looking at is 1910 to 1961. And this particular building is considered to be Tudor Gothic style. Most often when you see asylums or sanatoriums, we associate them with the Kirkbride architecture or some of this like Italian revival architecture, but this is specifically uh, Tudor Gothic, and it is a Y-shaped building, which is kind of strange, but I think they had reasons for designing it that way. Yeah, they did, mm -hmm. because they thought that the airflow would work better for the patients. We should say here that, you know, Waverly Hills was considered to be a self-contained community, almost its own city. It had its own water treatment facility. Um, they had a slaughterhouse. They had a post office. In fact, they have their own zip code, had their own zip code. Is that right? And, really? 
Yes, absolutely. And wow. they did ask that none of the staff um, communicated physically, I should say, uh, visited with the outside world because of the nature of TB. And didn't you say yeah. that it had a lot to do with hygiene? At one point, you had they, done during the research? They did, absolutely. They ultimately found out that to a large extent, even though eventually they would, uh, we would invent, or Dr. Robert Koch would find, that streptomycin as an antibiotic was something that could be used to treat TB. But prior to understanding that, or even when he did understand that, they also realized that just improving hygiene, washing your hands, mm. made a huge difference in the amount of cases they had. And so because it was so easily transmissible, um, they, they referred to this area as the hill. You are now a full-time resident of the hill. You aren't leaving. And it wasn't in a kind of you are stuck here forever prison kind of way. But it, I think it was understanding that if you are staff here, this is it. This is your forever now. So the existing sanatorium was built between March of 24 and October of 26. And at that time, it cost just over a million dollars, which, again, that's a lot of money. Oh, sure. Yeah. At that time. And the building is approximately 180,000 square feet. So you know, Crazy. when you when you investigate this place, you can use every bit of those eight hours you get. <laughs> Good Lord, yeah. I mean, we didn't even go in certain places. No. there We could have been there for days and days and days and, and not mm -hmm. seen things. Um, it was intended, that facility was intended for treating uh, over 400 patients. And each of those patients had their own radio. They had their own, as Amy said, their own porch, their own solarium. Um, the fifth floor had their heliotherapy department, and that's where... The really chronically ill, or this, I should say, the severely advanced cases of TB were, and that's where you got the best sunlight and the best air. Mm. Sorry, I believe that the children's ward was up there at one point too. Yes, I I, yeah, I think that's the fourth or fifth. Yeah, I believe so. Mm -hmm. And it was so because of all these things, it was advanced. I mean, at the time, it was like the Mayo Clinic of TB. You know, it was really, mm -hmm. really advanced. Um. We 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 talked about this earlier, but we should mention because I think it's you know we think it's important to mention this was a segregated situation. So if you were African American at that time and you contracted TB, you actually had to stay in the outdated wooded dispensary, which was outside of the building proper. That's disgusting. That's so disgusting. And being the, being treated less than human, you know. Well, absolutely, as you're dying. And, and and the irony is it wasn't until the 40s when those conditions changed, and then that's when streptomycin is discovered. So it's kind of a moot oh. point, yeah. you know, at that time. Sure. So, so um, they decided that uh, by 1943, because of streptomycin, and this is a wonderful thing, but the cases were dropping. Uh, the cases of TB were dropping. So they didn't really need this huge structure anymore. And those remaining patients, they were moved to Louisville to the Hazelwood Sanatorium. And Waverly Hills would officially close as a TB hospital in 1961. Mm -hmm. So not much longer after, you know, um, TB was, excuse me, streptomycin was being administered as a treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 20 years, yeah. Or less than. Less than, exactly. And... 
so in 1962, then a year later, they would convert it to a geriatric center, the Woodhaven uh, Geriatric Center. These were for like dementia patients, people who had uh, mental uh, disabilities, things of that nature. But it was accused of neglect, it was understaffed, it was overcrowded, and the state shut it down in 1982. Mm, God. Yeah, we've discussed where yeah. a lot of these places, yeah, the cruelty in a lot of these asylums. It's terrible. The the cruelty and uh, you often see it, unfortunately in children's facilities specifically children or well i should say elderly and children yeah the, the, the uh, two most vulnerable uh but i can tell you that in 1983 the house the, excuse me the hospital was purchased uh with the intent of becoming a prison but the the locals did not like that idea at all the area is beautiful you know the neighborhood around it you wouldn't know that waverly hills was there, uh, you know, driving around. And of right. course, we were driving around at night, <laughs> and we were unfamiliar. But True. it's yeah, yeah, it looked like a looked like a nice neighborhood because there's like a gas station down the road, and we had to go there a few times. And just to think that Waverly Hills is right on the corner, it's kind of strange. And we can tell you that there is a Waffle House that is severely understaffed, <laughs> um, just down the way. Um, once you get through the gates, which are very very prominent you know you're going into something when you see these gates once you get through there you you kind of feel like you're removed from civilization because it seems like it's in a world of its own yeah it did so you said it had its own postal code yeah yes yeah i can see why it would when you're saying it mm -hmm. that way and thinking back yeah mm -hmm. yeah hundred eighty thousand square i mean and that's just the building nothing right. not to mention the land and uh, so finally, in 2001, the Mattingleys purchased it for $230,000. They still own the building, and that is who you can uh, get tours from to this day. Um, now, here's the thing, and I wanted to ask you about this. This is one of our biggest complaints with researching Waverly Hills, and a lot of people talk about this. The death toll is extremely skewed. What were you saying about Charlie Mattingly and what he asserted to be the actual death toll? Uh, Charlie actually said, because what did you say it was that they claim? Well, we've like heard everything from 85,000, 65,000, 80,000, 50,000. I mean. Yeah, and we had done a little research that says it's way lower. Between 6,000 and 8,000, I think it was. But Charlie said that he has proof that it was 11,000. Okay. Yes, because he has family members who had people pass there sign some sheet. But, you know, it's, it's almost like, can anybody walk in there, you know, and just say, okay, my grandpa was here. And then you don't, you don't have to offer proof of that. <laughs> well, I, I have to admit, I initially thought she meant the deceased came in and signed a sheet saying, yes, I did in fact die here. That is a fact. No, yeah. no, but that would be best probably. At this point, that would be best. But I agree. I think, I think between six and 10, 11 is much, much more realistic. 85,000 is a little much. Yeah, I mean, when, when we first heard that, my jaw dropped. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. That is a yeah. huge amount of people. But here's the thing. So say even eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand people. Because of that, and because here you are a patient, and you are consistently seeing people on these gurneys going down the hall, clearly dead. They have these sheets over them, I'm sure. They're covered up in some way. 
it's it's pretty clear to you that this is yet another dead patient, another dead patient. And this was one of the original reasons that they created what's known as the body chute or death tunnel. And this is the passageway uh, that you can go in yourself now to this day, used to transport the bodies and supplies in and out of the sanatorium. It's built on the first floor with the rest of the building. It's a 500-foot corridor to the bottom of the hill, and there are stairs running alongside it, and those were used for the, you know, by the workers. And then on the other side was the cart that would go up and down the staircase, which transported the supplies. But um, again, the idea being that if they carried the dead out of the building this way, at least the patients weren't constantly seeing this. But it's not really connected to the building. You have to go outside to get to the, right. the death tunnel. Little known fact, and I feel like I can talk about this now because it was so long ago that we had investigated. I was told by someone who is associated with the place, the cemetery is there and it's above the body chute. So the ground right. that's above it, yeah, is where there's a cemetery. So they would they would bury people there. And I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, that it was mostly unknown, unclaimed bodies. Unclaimed right, patients. like a potter's field type situation. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are just as ascribed a number depending on the circumstances in which they died. You may just have a first name, things like that. So, yeah, the, the when we spent time, and we'll get into that, we spent time in that tunnel, that body chute. Um, mm -hmm. It was also used as an air raid shelter, which, I mean, it would serve that purpose as well based on the way it was designed. Yeah. So... We're going to talk about our experience here um, at Waverly Hills, now that we've given you some backstory. Now, I first would like to get out of the way some of the legends, just a few, briefly. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, be because you can't hear about Waverly Hills and not hear the famous stories associated with. And one of those, most notably being a uh, legend of the nurse in 502, room 502. There are different versions of this. Some say she was a nurse. Um, they believe that she had hanged herself from a light fixture in the room. I also heard once that she hanged herself in the entrance, the actual doorway of the room. Yeah. Um, that she did so because she was unmarried and she was pregnant. And considering the time, uh, that's just not something that you did. It was not, you know, uh, favored <laughs> to do something like that. And so people believe that she had taken her own life because of that. Some said she had an affair with the owner of the hospital at the time, and she had contracted tuberculosis, either from him or a patient. That's one of the versions. Uh, some people just said the entire environment was just demoralizing to her, and she couldn't take it anymore. So she took her life. But here's the thing. There's really no, as far as we see and understand, no concrete evidence to suggest that this ever happened. Now, yeah. now yeah. you and I both spent time in there, not together at the same time, but separately. And I believe we may have had a different experience. When I was in that room, I felt honestly so, I felt so peaceful, I could have laid down and slept. There was no yes. foreboding. There, yeah, there was no heaviness. There was no, it wasn't even like, I used to say it was a dead battery. That's not even an accurate description because that implies that that makes it sound almost kind of, I don't know, negative in some way in my eyes, I guess. Right. There was nothing negative at all. It felt like a very calm, peaceful, empty room. Um, you, you always say that. You've always said that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. And I, admittedly, I was hoping to feel something. You know, I think we all are. Um, now, what was your experience like physically in that room? I don't, you know, because I'm looking at everything so skeptically, I guess. Um, nothing. 
you know that's okay. why i kind of rely on evp yeah i mean it, it's no different like you said it's it's 180,000 square feet in total so it felt like any other room really to me any other you know? room right yeah and you and you do have to go into this recognizing that if you're even slightly impressionable that as you're approaching this room and you know the backstory it's probably better that you didn't but say you obviously do most people do and you approach this room and you see the numbers on the door frame you know 502 502 yes ominous yeah mm. and you you are expecting something which certainly was the case for me but in my case even the impressionable part of me felt nothing now that's not to say you would have the same experience you might feel something completely different in there but for us mm. we did not um, I will also mention that there is a, allegedly a little girl that runs up and down the length of the third floor. Mm. Uh, I don't know her story per se, just except that she apparently runs up and down the third floor. There were many children at Waverly Hills. Uh, a little boy that has a ball that's that would probably be Timmy, and we'll get to that. But also a, apparently a woman who has a bleeding wrist and who cries out for help as she oh, walks God. down the halls. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, the bleeding wrist woman. Um, and people say they hear slamming doors. They they hear footsteps. Um, I, I personally didn't hear any doors slamming. Mm -mm. Footsteps, no. that's difficult to say because obviously we did hear footsteps from our team members. But mm -hmm. I, I don't notice – I didn't notice any disembodied, I will say that way, uh, footsteps. Right. A lot of shadow um, people, they said, too. Shit. <laughs> And we should point out that story because that's pretty funny. It is funny. Uh, because lie. Mike, the tour guide at the time, uh, on that particular evening, was telling us about how people see these shadow people. And we were in one particular area of the building, and he's pointing down a corridor. And keep in mind, <laughs> anything you're seeing is, you know, it's very difficult to see in this light because at this point it was well after midnight. And there was a vivid moon in the sky, but mm -hmm. this, in this part of the hospital, there wasn't a lot of light to illuminate anything if you didn't have a flashlight. Mm -hmm. and, and he's saying, look, if you look really closely, you, know, you might yourself see something. And Amy's standing near me, and I'm sure in the dark it's probably shaking her head violently, no. But <laughs> I, being the genius I am, I'm looking down the hall going, oh my God, I see it. Yeah, I have to admit that I was a little impressionable there. And I and I kind of I didn't storm off. <laughs> she like, stormed yeah, me. This, this is BS. I'm just going to go. She got in the car and went back home. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I did walk off. I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and he you know, he was saying, look, to each his own. This is what we're told. This is what people have experienced, but sure. uh I did see something, but you could say, well, that's because you thought you were supposed to see something. That's because your eyes were playing tricks on you. I can't say either way, but right. that was funny. Um, but as for Timmy, he's supposed to be around six, seven, eight years old, died mm -hmm. of TB in the hospital. He's stuck there, as is quite often the suggestion in these kinds of hauntings. Uh, people have brought balls for him over the years, and people have said that when you place the ball in one particular location, it moves. I did see the ball move, but can I tell you it's because of a haunting or because of gravity and uneven floors and breezes? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was going to say, I can tell you what I thought, and that's another time I walked off. Um, you know? <laughs> I sound, I sound so awful to <laughs> She just walked out the whole night. <laughs> yeah, I just, I want concrete, you know? Um, and for me, that's EVP mostly. Um, <laughs> but they were trying to do the ball experiment, 
But what people don't understand is this entire building is open. There's all these verandas where they would keep the patients. And because of that, obviously, it's very windy and we're on a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had to take that into consideration and just and just walk off. <laughs> just walked away. Yeah. I mean, uh, if we were in a controlled yeah. environment, you know, where the, the doors are closed, you're in a room. That's another story. This one sure. was like, yeah, I can't do it. Sure. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, I have seen plenty of investigations where something has moved inexplicably on its own, and you've tried and tried to explain it away, look, check for breezes, check for you know, bring out your level as the floor even, you know, things like this. And sometimes you can't figure out why. But yeah. again, as she said, because of the nature of this building, it would be very difficult to completely discount any you know, alternative explanation. So, right. And I, um, I should, I should say the whole building isn't open, but the majority of it is because right. of these, yeah, these solarium porches. That they exactly. Have. Now you keep mentioning EVP and of course that is your specialty. So what EVP did you or your team capture that evening? Well, I have a few uh, that, that were captured by other investigators who sadly have passed away. I don't have access to them. Uh, One was actually on the fifth floor, and this one amazed me because we were walking up. Mike was, like you said, our tour guide, who was wonderful. Uh, We were heading up to the fifth floor where the children had been, and clearly you hear what sounds like a little girl say, hi. Uh, I don't have that one. However, I do have one from one of my investigators that seems to be over a PA, and and there were no, you know, the PA was long gone. Sure. And, yep. So in this one, it, it says, Dr. Sanderson, call home. So we'll play that right now. That sounds like a PA to me. Of course, that would be a residual EVP. Yeah. Um, now, in the death tunnel, uh, one of my investigators and I went out there at the end of the night when I think you guys were all in the morgue or on the first floor. And all the other teams had left, and nobody was in the death tunnel. And as you said, it's four or 500 feet long, completely empty. It had great sound. So my teammate Vicky and I hear a noise. And Vicky says out loud, could you do it again? The reply seems to be that of a young woman. It seems to be a direct response, which is very rare, as you know. And she says, I don't know. And now you had received a couple EVPs, I think, from your group? Yes. Uh, So my husband and um, my co-investigator, he tends to record for eight hours, well, in this case, eight-hour stretches. So he has a recorder that he uses. He he uses, I think, a combination of digital and analog, but he will use a recorder for just, you know, doing sessions. But he also always keeps a recorder on him, he tends to, for the entire duration of an investigation because he's hoping that, you know, discounting any walking sounds or things like that, he's hoping he might capture something surreptitiously that, you know, you, you weren't setting up for In other words, it just kind of appeared. Yeah. Um, Yep. And that's how I believe it was on the eight hour recording. um, He got one that was saying something about Walker. 
and then there was another one that I believe is saying something like help us. Now again, I'm going to I'm going to say that these are his, not mine as I've always joked they don't talk to me. They just show up in pictures for me. Um <laughs> they rarely speak to me in that way. But uh I'm not sure what the context of these were. You know, I don't know if this is a situation where uh you know, the one that seems to say walker, I don't know if it was referring to an actual walker, you know, a, a walking implement. Right. Uh, I right. don't know if it was someone's name. So we'll play the Help Us EVP right here. See, I that hear I that. Yeah. I was just going to say, I can hear that. Yep. And I would assume that he was just walking around at this time. He That you was know. on his eight hour. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my favorite where, where you just, uh, I do the same thing where I walk around. I just, I have a couple recorders running and then there's another recorder that I'll use for direct uh, responses. So. Exactly. And I, when I do record EVP, which I do, but I'm just not very successful with it. I tend to prefer analog. That's I'm old school that way. Absolutely. But my, my husband likes digital. He's, he's very much an Olympus digital or Sony kind of guy. So, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, or sometimes I prefer to chisel them into stone, much like the Flintstones. It depends on my mood, <laughs> but in any event, my God, so, you should have seen my face. I was like, what is she chiseling? What? <laughs> oh, when it comes to spirit photography, this is an interesting story, I feel, that as Amy alluded to, we were very much in a controlled environment because even though there may have been three other teams there with us, not only did they all leave before we did, when this particular photo was taken, was captured, they had already gone. So we were alone with the exception of Mike, who was outside having a cigarette, Tina was not in the building at that time, nor was her husband. I believe you said they were behind in their home or, mm -hmm. or yeah. where they stay on the property. So we quite literally had the building to ourselves at that point. And I'm walking around. And again, I, I don't always set up my shots. Uh, I just, in the dark, boom, 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 I'm, I'm capturing. And I will do digital. I will do film I will I will do Polaroid. I will do whatever I can because I think it yields different results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for sure. I took this photo. This is digital. And it wasn't until much later upon returning home and reviewing my footage and my film that I said, wait a minute, who, who is this? And I sent it to Amy and some of our other team members, and none of them knew who it was because, quite simply, nobody in our group looked like this person. Nobody was wearing... Uh, this person's clothing, uh, what appears to be jeans and a dark shirt. This person does not physically match the description of anybody we were with. And there was no one else in the building. I know that was, that really was fascinating. Um, we were in the death tunnel at that point. So we weren't even in the building. Of course, I, I didn't really look like that, but. Well, yeah. what's really ironic about it is I wasn't even in the building when I took this picture and that's how I can't <laughs> figure it out. But. This still is is what was captured. And now you had said that you and some of your investigators had a similar experience where there was either a person you thought you saw or. Yeah, you... yeah and that was on the, the fourth floor at the very beginning. We were assigned the fourth floor, just our team. 
And my daughter and I watched a man walk along the solarium. And we were saying hello, hello to him to get him to respond because he didn't look like anybody that was in our group. And he didn't respond. Well, it turns out that Mike, our invest our investigator, our tour guide, who was, like I said, just a wonderful guy, he came up and I said, Mike, were you up here? And he said, no, I've been two floors down uh, with the other teams. And it turns out now years later that I saw him on some show where he said that people see him. So almost a doppelganger. He did mention that. That's right. Yeah. And, and I was blown away. I was like, whoa, we did see that. We saw that not only that, but I did get a photo, which I had bought a cheap digital camera because we've talked about this before. The, the cheaper digital cameras are usually yield the best results. So I bought this $40 cheap camera before I left and I took a photo just, and, and protocol is where we take more than one photo of the exact same look at the exact same location. And so this is on the second floor looking out these French doors. It's the only thing I can explain them as kind of a French door. And I snap a photo, not thinking I got anything, took a few more, got back to the hotel and there's this green head that looks like it's right outside that in that area. Now I'm not one to see things in clouds. People send me photos of orbs. Oh, do you see the face? No, I don't. I just right. don't see it. This I can see. You so, can see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was weird. And and here's the thing: when it comes, it's just like when we talk about the differences in, in VVP recording between a digital and an analog recorder. With cameras, especially, keep in mind this was the again 2008 that whole time frame. Mm -hmm. In the in the digital camera world, we were talking about the when it came to the processing, we were talking about the difference between like CCD sensors and CMOS sensors. The CMOS sensors were quite popular. That's the complementary metal oxide semiconductor. Those sensors were more susceptible to noise because each of the photosites on the CMOS has several transistors. And so the light sensitivity was not as good. A CCD, which kind of came in next, and these were wearing your higher end uh, digital cameras at the time, these were light sensitive circuits and they would convert the photons to electrons. And what you essentially came out with at the end of that was you had less noise in your photographs because you could explain away some things early on with digital cameras with you know the, the pixelization and excuse me pixelation and things like that as being well this is just noise this is just noise as we call it um from the um processor but with the advent of newer digital cameras and a certain especially now today you're not going to get that same noise so I think no, today, by and large, it's, it's, yeah, it's even a better time to do spirit photography in that respect. But to your point also, sometimes the, I still think that you get the best photos with film. Yes. Um, yeah, I think so. I, well, I, I, I did, really do. This was a digital camera, you know, it was, but it was cheap. And, and by the way, am I talking to Bill Nye, the science guy all of a sudden? <laughs> no, but you know, this is a weird thing that I've always been obsessed with. And you know that I, I've yeah, always please. loved photography. And so I remember I used to dive into that in the 2000s because I kept trying to figure out what makes this camera different other than just the name brand and the price. What is the difference in the processing? 
And then we talk about, as you said, you can make quite literally, people have been doing this for a very long time, make your own camera out of a cardboard box. Oh, wow. And you could capture something. Um, 110 cameras, which were all the rage in you know the 70s and 80s and even the early 90s, those capture again polaroids polaroids can give you some fantastic results oh yeah definitely it's very rare that needs this needs to be said that you get a what's known as an fba which is a full-bodied effort yeah yeah but yeah we some of this evidence we thought was really compelling will i tell you this or i will tell you this was this the most haunted location i've personally ever experienced no not for Mm me um there are other places that felt way heavier and much more active to me, but that in no way discounts the possibility of very strong hauntings at Waverly Hills. You know, it's interesting because there's one thing that happened that, and we always say, if you can't measure it as best as a paranormal investigator can. So basically what I'm saying is personal experiences. And I had a personal experience that, I think on the second floor, there was a bakery, I guess, somewhere. And that is one time where I went, I could smell fresh, fresh baked bread and thought, yeah, this is weird because there was, you know, nothing right. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's no subway. There's no Panera <laughs> in Waverly Hills. But yeah, so it was interesting. I wish I could measure that. And, but I couldn't. But it smelled no, like you're oven. Right. Yeah, bread coming right out of the oven. So that was interesting. That's true. When you have those personal experiences and you you just wish, you know, someone could experience them vicariously through you, but they can't. No. Nope. So that'll be be down the road a ways, I think, technology. Be down the road a ways um, until the uh, quickening takes place. So... (laughs) But this this place, I, I would say this, it is definitely worth a visit, if for no other reason than the historical aspect of it. Oh, sure. Yeah, the architecture is fascinating. The architecture, the, the gargoyle, the, uh, the just, and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of respect I feel owed um, to that ground because of the sheer amount of lives that were lost there due to something that was, you know, a terrible... time in our history and people still deal with tuberculosis it hasn't disappeared but it was for me i would go back i think it's a good place to investigate oh 100 percent um i will say this was it worth a thousand dollars for all of us to go yeah absolutely i think so i think so too i do too um especially since we didn't pay i'm just kidding we did pay but (laughs) We just snuck onto the grounds. Don't sneak onto the grounds. I don't advise that. Oh, um, dear, dear God. No, they, yeah, that's very, don't. <laughs> don't do that. So, yeah, Waverly Hills. We had a blast and uh, we will go back at some point and we will broadcast live. I'm just kidding. Well, maybe, who knows? <laughs> right. We could do a live. There wasn't such a, a thing back. Yeah, there was no such thing in 2008. I wasn't no, even on yeah, I wasn't even on Facebook, so that was no. When, yeah, that was when it, that was when the, that was when the teenagers all owned Facebook, <laughs> and now the old people, and now the old people do. Um, <laughs> I don't know how accurate any quote results are from that experience, but maybe they are. It's hard to say. What a live stream? 
Well, I just mean because sometimes people will say, you know, I'm watching a live stream. Oh, I saw something. Okay. Oh, but, God, yeah, I mean, no, we're not doing that. We're not yeah. doing that. Forget it. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for joining us again on this wacky roller coaster that is Dark Dogs Radio. Yes, thank you very much. We appreciate every single view. Thanks for sitting here with us by this campfire that we are nowhere near, but just imagine we are. Just imagine <laughs> we are. And uh, as we always say, uh, stay safe out there.